I want you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Numbers and then the book of Psalm 78. Numbers chapter 10 and then Psalms 78. I have an unusual title. You know, I'm not much for having titles to sermons that are nifty, but I do tonight. I have a good one tonight. Years ago, I heard a preacher talk about people who were just barely getting through life, and one of the things that that characterized people that were just barely making it through life was they lived down near Grumble Alley, which means that they just seemed to grumble and growl and complain all the time, and ah, yeah, you know, and uh, said they need to be delivered from that, and I thought. God made it very personal to me. What I want to preach about tonight is my life, okay? I want to talk about the demolition of Grumble Alley. Doing away with Grumble Alley. This is about complaining. This is a message about complaining and grumbling and whining and fault finding and just this and that. And it's not to do with anybody. Trust me, the the thing that inspired this is my own life. And it seemed like it was a trait in my family, a trait in my life. I'm around it. You're around it. You've done it. I've done it. We've all been guilty at one time or another about grumbling and complaining. Now, there is honest complaining. A teacher may say to his or her students that you're not doing very good work. You're not trying hard. That is an honest complaint. And I'm not talking about any time there is constructive complaining where you're dealing with somebody or trying to fix something. I'm talking about everyday complaining. We'll get to it in just a minute. For example, we'll begin here in Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp, And, of course, you know the fire by night. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. That's Psalm 68 and verse 36. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. You realize from what you know historically about Israel going through the Exodus that God took care of them. There wasn't a feeble one amongst them. The soles of their shoes never wore out. Nobody could harm them. There wasn't a hostile nation anywhere that was not afraid of these people. They weren't warring people. They had been slaves and servants in Egypt making pyramids and stomping bricks for 400 years. So they weren't knowledgeable people. They didn't know anything. They didn't have any skills other than that that they knew of. And they were marching through a desert they never had been before. They had been released from 400 years of bondage and were following a man that they hardly knew. His name was Moses. But God was spectacular in how he took care of them. One of the greatest miracles in the Bible is how he took care of them. I don't know how many people he brought out of Egypt. If there was a million, that's a lot of people. And you think of how much water every day it took to quench their thirst or to water their cattle. They had lots and lots of cattle. They had to water all of their animals. They had to water themselves. 
quails came down and they had the manna. How many million quails? I don't know. It was so good that at nighttime in the desert, it's very cold at night, but yet they had a pillar of fire over that nation. That was a huge, huge, big pillar of fire. And it kept them all warm. There was a, not an uncomfortable one amongst them. And there was a cloud by day to keep them from being burned up. There's never been a time in all of creation and all of history that such a miracle has ever happened. Never at any time. And yet, in spite of all of that, and God's goodness being displayed all the time, the people, it said in chapter 11, verse 1, and when the people complained... It displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Let me ask you a question which you already know. Why was God angry with his people here? For one reason, because they complained. There was something lacking of being grateful and thankful or the fear of God enjoying the wonder of it all. We've never seen anything like what they saw. And yet, they grumbled continually. They complained about this. They complained about that. Here's what it says in Psalm 78 and verse 17. Now see, there's a message here for us. If you're keen and you listen keenly, you'll get it yourself. In verse 17, he said, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spoke against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They're saying that today. Well, we read in the Bible all these things that God did. We've heard of all these miracles and all these testimonies of last century. They ever think, Well, why doesn't he do something today? Has he quit doing anything? Has he lost his power? Has the arm of God ceased from being amongst his people? I don't see anything. That's a form of complaining. Here's what happens when you do that. Verse 19, they spoke against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? They questioned the fact that not only had he done it once, they were aware that he was able to do that. Nobody else, no other God of any nation was ever able to do such a thing. Their ancestors enjoyed this. And here they come along years later, and things aren't going the way they want things to go. They're not happy about their circumstances. They're just not altogether up to beat with what God says is not working for me. And where is all this power we heard about? I've never seen a miracle. Have you ever seen one? Well, where's our miracle working God? There's certainly good reasons and chances here to work miracles. Where is he? What's wrong? What's happening? Maybe we've been mistaught. Maybe that's not true. Maybe God quit doing that. Maybe that was for yesteryear. Maybe that's not for today. How many of you know when a person talks like that, Many times, I'm, again, I believe in honest complaints. A person may be searching out God and asking honest questions without his heart being bad. But when you got bitterness and 
frustration in your heart and you start complaining to God, you're questioning whether or not he really will do what he said. And here's the whole problem again. Verse 21, therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. Wroth means angry. And was angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob. And anger also came up against Israel and the church if they do it. Because, verse 22, it's a faith problem, isn't it? Does your Bible say they believed not God? Listen, there was no quiet assurance in their heart. There was no conviction that if God said what he said, and he said he'd do it for us, then we're believing that he will do it. They weren't resting in that. They weren't finding their place of peace in the statements of God. They simply looked around and said, well, you know, where's Moses? He's been gone 40 days. How do we know he's not? Let's make us a God and go back to Egypt. At least we had better food out there and we've gotten this desert. They didn't believe God. They wanted all that they could get from God. There was no desire to trust him. He said, they believed not God and trusted not in his salvation, in his saving ways. That was their problem. That's why people complain today. That's why we complain. We're not counting on God to do for us what he said. We don't see it happening, so we have a comment about it. Here's a definition from Christian sources on what the word complaining means. Because remember, when the people complained, in Numbers 11:1, 1, when the people complained and God heard it, said he was angry. It really displeases God for his people to complain, to find fault. And not only did he find fault, but he also let go of some of his anger and consumed some of the people. People died because of this. Here's some definitions. One who complains means it's one who habitually grumbles, whines. I'm talking to myself. Finds or expresses dissatisfaction and resentment. Censure. Talking about something, against something, fault-finding. And generally given to expressing the displeasure that is in his heart or her heart. You find this in places like radio talk shows. I can't think of a more evident source of complainers and complaining than radio talk shows. Because it seems like, I can't prove this, I don't have to tonight, because it's, it's evident. It seems like that so many people who call into a talk show, especially if it's a conservative right-wing talk show, it's all about complaining about something. You complain about the government, complaining about the debt, complaining about the latest decision in Congress. And it's not that you're wrong. It's not like the things you have seen and the way you feel about things are wrong. But it's the fact that you're not taking that uh, cast. All my cares upon the Lord. It's not like you're casting it on the Lord but that you're expressing your feelings to somebody who wants to listen or somebody who will listen. If you get enough people thinking the same way, that's what they talk about. 
and you sit around and listen to dissatisfied people finding fault and criticizing and complaining about the government, you too will do that. The more you listen to that stuff, the more you'll do it because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Have you ever heard a political campaign of, of somebody, some politician talking, trying to get elected? How much of his speech to gain your admiration is about complaining? his opponent, the previous administration, and so forth. What about striking? Union strikes. Is that not a complaint against the system? The, the company you're working for is making too much money. We want more of that money. You don't have a right to make that much money. We ought to get it, so we're going on strike. And here we are, 50 years later, all these strikes. Now they've got so many entitlement programs that the companies or the cities are going broke because they can no longer support the welfare system they created. You can retire at age whatever now and draw this benefit the rest of your life plus health benefits. And the city who gains no more money from your labor has to pay that. And you get, it keeps adding several thousand every year. At some point, the city can no longer function. You can't pay the street bills. You can't do the things that, that society needs done because you got to pay all of that stuff out. So you start complaining about it. Actually, my complaining in a way from my side, I've never been paid for that. I've never, it's never benefited me a nickel to, to tell everybody how I feel about something, but I do it to my fault. I'm telling you, I'm confessing it tonight. You can do what you want to with yours. If you have one. I've done my share of it. It seemed like I get in the wrong place, talking to the wrong people sometimes, and that's what you, as your two cents worth. And when you get done with it, you added no grace to the conversation. There was no from God's solution because they don't want to hear that. And all you've done is join in the fray of talking down about something, and you have found yourself, biblically speaking, complaining. You know, when I was a school teacher, I don't know if I was in a union then or not. I don't think I was. If I was, I never knew it. But today, I'll show you how bad it is. You can sign a contract. They always talk to us first. You want to teach in a school? Yes. Okay, here's what we will pay you to teach in this school. You know, me and Bonnie together, we signed contracts the first year we taught, and our combined total was $8,600 for two college-graduated people teaching school, 8600 That wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> but it was a lot then. When a Pepsi is a nickel, that was pretty good. Maybe it's a dime. So you signed a contract. I agree to your terms to work in your school. I will do what you have given me for this amount of money. And then today, though, you sign a contract, and if the people at the top want to put pressure on the system to get more, after you've agreed to the terms, they want you to strike. Now, Christians will get in that and join in the fray. They shouldn't, but they will. And then they start complaining. Well, we, we got you know, and they carry this out. It's a form of complaining. You're living in the midst of it. We do it ourselves. We hear things on the radio. We talk, I talk to the radio way too much. Or maybe a worse form of complaining is about each other. You know, somebody gets blessed big and you're not blessed quite that way yet, and then there's this grumble. I ain't right. 
Well, I wonder where they got that. Well, I don't know the right one. Why did they buy that color? I don't know. They're big, big, right? Well, what do you think? Why she wear that thing? You know, it's going to have some other way, son. What's going to do you I don't know. That's probably what it sounds like to some sensible person. It's only, well, you know, just noise. But we only do it because somebody's listening. And if we wouldn't listen to it, nobody would do it for us. They wouldn't like us anymore. That's the way it works. Let me show you what affects us and how it affects us. Turn to the book of Jude, all the way back in the back. Jude. Turn to Jude chapter 2. Thank you. Jude chapter 1. I just want to make sure you knew where Jude was. Jude verse 10. Now these are folks that are in the system, in the church, in the and he's speaking, he's warning the people here. He said, but these, these people speak evil of those things which they know not. We do too. We hear the talk show say this. We hear some so-called expert on political events say something. We assume it's right, and we talk to each other and proclaim that as being right because you heard it on the radio. The media system is designed to control your thinking. It's run by something that's called a principality or a power. And its design is to give information to you that takes you, listen, away from Scripture and into the social way of doing things. So that when you come to church and somebody preaches against complaining, you, get, you don't like it. Well, I'm preaching to myself and I got to like it because it's me talking. But these speak evil of things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things, they what themselves? Do you realize something? Look at that verse. The things you talk about can corrupt you. They did in the Old Testament. They did worse than that to those that died. It's this about speaking things forth, things that corrupt you. Now, they got in there first, and then you begin to assign those things to your belief system, and you begin to talk like that. Look at verse 16. These are murmurers. Uh-oh. Oh, Lord. It's amen or oh me tonight. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They say things you want to hear. They say things the way you really like to hear it. Today, they would say that was cool. Man, I like it. He's got some fire and pop politically. But what he's saying has absolutely no redeeming value to a Christian. Now, you tune into that system, that's going to begin to conflict with what you believe. Trust me. You and I both know there's some days that you can believe and some days you struggle. It is hard for us to put a watch before our mouth and guard the door of our hearts. We hide the word in our heart. We want to keep it there. That should determine and dictate the course of my life, your life, as well as our conversation. If God said he'll supply our needs, then it's not for me in denial of that to talk about what we're going to do if it gets worse and worse, like the entitlement stuff. 
It's not going to get better. The Bible said evil men and seducers shall in the last days wax worse and worse. Let me give you a good word here, good Kentucky. And the worser it gets, the more worse it gets, the more people gather together in complaint. And that's when they begin to write their senators and call this. And, you know, the church has become political, too. There are some churches that are built around political things. They're patriotic. And they say, you know, we ought to, we ought to, we ought to. Let me tell you what we ought to do. We ought to realize, first of all, that we're here to serve God on this earth. That the kingdoms of men are not the kingdoms of God. That we are in this world a sojourner and a pilgrim. And as we walk through this world, we have one goal, and that's to broadcast Jesus Christ, to witness to who he is and his saving ways, and to let the world know that there is, a, there is hope for salvation. Now, all who's going to be president, who's going to vote, and all that stuff, that's their business. You can do that. You can do that if you want to. I am more, and I am really interested in the kingdom of God. You'll never stop evil in this world. The church is never going to be church triumphant on this earth that is going through the world in the last days changing the world. It's not going to happen. The world's going to end like it says in the book of Revelation. When Jesus comes back to this earth to set up his kingdom, not in the air, but when he comes back to this earth to set up his kingdom, then the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God. And he will reign and rule. And if you, as Paul wrote in Timothy, if you do the way you should and you, you'll reign and rule with him. And that's what you want. So the thing that's going to capture the affections of the heart of God, God's approval, is my faithfulness to him in all things. Temptations and tests, the devil's work is everywhere. One of the great temptations is for you to voice your displeasure about what the devil's doing, and the devil's never done anything good. We'd spend the rest of our life if that's the way it was. I said, well, everybody complains. Well, sadly so. We shouldn't, and I hope that the more we hear it, at least the more these words will play on our heart as the days come and go, that we'll stop all this complaining. But we don't have to complain. We don't have to protest. We don't have to find fault. We don't have to think that by numbers we can change anything. That's not what I'm on this earth to do. It's not what you're here to do either. There are people out there who will do that. It's not your job to do that. There are things the world does. There are things that Christians does. And they do conflict with each other. And you know as well as I do, the more you do things God's way, the more the world will hate you. They'll separate you from their company. You're not a good American or you're not a good something or the other, they will call you. Now, when it comes to complaining about things, having things, what provision for any of us tonight, because people do complain about lack. They're either dissatisfied about something or they feel like they're not getting what they deserve or that somebody got more than they should have. And they have an opinion about that and they talk about Tonight, what provision has God failed to offer you or make for you that would lead to this? What in the Bible could you need that God hasn't provided? 
What promise has God left out of scripture for anybody's need in his kingdom? Did he say he would save you? Did he say that he would provide you with all of your needs? Did he say he would make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed as you go out, blessed as you come in, everything you put your hand to would prosper? Did he say that? Then why do we grumble about stuff? Did he say that he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall trust? That no evil shall befall you, no plague come nigh your dwelling. He'll give his angels charge concerning you. They will keep you in all your ways. Well, then what are we complaining about? Did he not tell us and warn us about the wickedness of the world like he did in Jude, that the kind of people that are coming in the world are not the kind of people you can change, not the kind of people that you can redo. They're like that. They were made that way. In the last days, their days are numbered. Their end is numbered. What are you going to do about them? What has God promised you about it? I mean, the Bible is 8,000 plus promises. What about all these people that have more toys than you have? They got a better car than you do. Oh, they got Michelin tires on their car. Really? You want them? You want that kind of tire? All you have to do is believe the Lord. I bet, you know, if God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold and all the silver, and all the maters and taters in the hill, that's tomatoes and potatoes for everybody else, but he owns them all. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every rhyme. Nobody in here was left out when God offered his word to people. He said he watches over his word to perform it, that his word would go forth and accomplish that which he pleases for those who believe it, and he awaits the word to come back. That's for each one of us. So actually, if you begin to examine your heart, nobody has a right to complain about anything. Now, maybe it's a parent with your children, but we're talking about, that's an honest complaint. But we're talking about living in this world in which nothing seems to be fair. And yet there are people who are wealthy, well-to-do. Lots of filthy lucre. We call it filthy rich. They're the un most unhappy people you ever saw. They live in fear. Somebody's going to get them. Somebody's going to sue them. Somebody's going to get their money. They're going to get, you know, something's going to happen. And you really can't buy health. They just hope that all the money they spend will make them well, and they live in fear and dissatisfaction. Nothing's ever good enough. They're, they can't find any peace at anything they buy, any toy they have, any place they go, anything that they're a part of. It just seems like something's always left out, and there's always a yanky, yakety yak. And then you see a person who is poor by the standards of this world, as they describe poverty. <laughs> poverty level today is something up in the teens, thousands. And when Brian and I first started teaching, we didn't even, we didn't even get to the teens. But you know what? There are people today who don't make much money, but they have peace with God. And it seems like when you're around them, there's always a smile on their face. They seem to be content, quiet, peaceful. 
You never hear them complain. You never hear a bunch of junk come out of their mouth about, I'll bet they are. I'll tell you what I do. I'll lock him up and throw away the key. I'll what the... You don't ever hear them talk like that. Oh, God, I hear me. You never hear them talk like that. I grew up in that kind of a house. My daddy used to say every politician, only he used words that are not suitable for here. If anybody wants to be a politician, he said, they'll lock them all up for six months because they're all a bunch of liars anyway. Well, see, that's a form of complaint that we don't need. You're living in a time in which you're trained to complain. If you don't pound your fist and, and get down to the good old boy's store and then talk about you're not in touch. I've been there. I know I grew up that way. Like I said, I grew up like that. But what do Christians complain about? Is it about things you don't have that somebody else has? Is it about privileges that you don't have that somebody else has? And when they've enjoyed their privileges, you watch them enjoy it, and you start finding fault with, well, look at that, look at that, look on there. Oh, they just think, oh, they think they're hot stuff. Maybe not. Maybe they don't even think they're cold stuff. Maybe they don't even think they're stuff. But we put them in a little box because we wish we were there. We complain because, well, if I had to tell you one thing, if I had his money, I'll tell you what I'd do. Well, we know what you'd do. You'd corrupt yourself. You would. That's why you don't win the lottery. That's why you don't even play. Because that is not a need in anybody's life. As you'll see in 1 Timothy 6 in a little bit, many people have pierced him through with many a pain because of money. It seemed like the solution to all my, oh, money. If I just had money. Turn to Hebrews 13, if I could just get some money. Yet there's that poor fellow, always peaceful. His car smokes, got a valve problem, pecks. Doesn't sound good when he goes down the road, and yet he smiled everywhere he goes. He's smiling. You get a new car, sometimes he's the first one to come up to you and say, Praise God, brother. You get a new one, that's great. Everybody else in the room said, Why are you telling him it's great? You don't have anything. Because he's glad. He's happy for you. That's what you're believing for. Your faith got answered. Praise God. God has honored your faith. Maybe that poor fellow said, I'm probably next. He's going to bless me. Somebody said, well, how's he going to bless you? You don't make enough money. To do that. That's the same thing the devil said to me years ago. I claimed a new house. I claimed a home one time, a home paid for. I claimed it because it was in my heart that I could believe that. And the devil was yakking in my ear, yakety yak. How in the world, he would say, are you ever going to do this? You don't even have a job. You don't have any kind of support whatsoever. You're not teaching anymore. You're sitting on a couch. Uh, you talk on Sunday night at the church. Last week, you made $5 in the bucket. And the preacher wanted to put you on salary, and you said, I will not take a salary. I am not for sale. You cannot hire me or control me. I belong to the Lord. I'm his servant. But he said, well, nobody put anything in the box. And, and they didn't. 
but you might say that, you know, my enjoyment of preaching was worth more than minus $5. I enjoyed that. I really did. People would call me to go here or go there, and I'd go here and I'd go there. Sometimes they put a $5 bill. Even one, I remember one Pentecostal church up in Dayton, Ohio, early in my life. And I'd spoken every night up there. They were a wonderful bunch of people. And last night, this Sunday night, Brother Hamble, you stand right here on this side of the pulpit. I want all y'all to give him a Pentecostal handshake. And I thought, what in the world is a Pentecostal handshake? What is a Pentecostal handshake? And they would come up just to grin, and they'd shake their hand. And there's a bill in it. I said, "Oh, I don't." I said, "Preacher said, brother, thank you." So I said, "I put in this pocket, and everything in the foot, and this, and finally I'd shake his hand, put, put it over here in this pocket, and they kept going. And you know, our church was over. I'm my pockets, or <laughs> they were, they were all bulging out. I was embarrassed. Probably wouldn't embarrass Bonnie. She'd probably held her purse out like that, but. <laughs> Man, I, you know, I think, oh, come on, man. Oh, come on. Now. They just kept coming by and kept putting it. I think it was over $300 when I got my, back in my room. Back in those days, in the very early 70s, that was a lot of money. That was a lot of money. And uh, I thought, I laid on a bed, you know, got back in the room before I went home. I thought, man, look at all the money I got here. And started praising God. Well, he starts taking care of you. And the devil would say, well, that won't last long. And I thought, well, you've been talking like that ever since I claimed a new house. And it just kept coming like that, similar to that. Some weeks more than others, but it just kept coming. I never asked for a dime in my life. I never have. Never appealed for money ever in my life. And it just keeps coming. We don't even take them an offering here. I remember one time we had a visitor said, do you all accept money here? And I said, well, yeah. I said, well, where do, where do you give it? I said, there's a box back there in the back. You'll have to look for it. And they thought that was the funniest thing, the strangest thing, I guess. You have to look for the place to give money at that church. Well, we're not going to be proud about that. Again, we might have to pass a pan someday just so we can not be so proud of that. But the devil would tell you it ain't going to work, and he would yak in your ear and all that kind of stuff. And one day there came a time in all of this. I remember one night in Lexington, I had a Bible study down there. It's 1973. 1973. The Gulf oil thing was starting over there and price of oil went up so much that gasoline was up to like 45 or 50 cents a gallon. Well, that was quite a bit then. When it jumps from 17 to 18 cents to 50 cents, about like what happened this week here. I mean, it's just big jump. And I remember thinking, well, the devil said, well, you know, it ain't going to work this time. And the following week, it came a man up to me and said, you know, just enjoy and you're preaching everything. And had this little envelope. And there were four credit cards in there, four gasoline station credit cards. He said, you buy all your gas with these. Don't you worry about gas. And I said, well, I spend a lot of money on gas because I travel. He said, well, how much? I said, well, at least $100, and he laughed. I thought, must be all right. <laughs> but he would supply my needs. I remember one night driving home, somebody stuck a check in my pocket. Well, you don't, I don't. Somebody sticks a check in your pocket. I don't say, well, let me see how much you whoa, let me, whoa, how much is that? Oh, thank you. 
I remember I was driving home on New Circle Road around Lexington. And I remember that check, and I reached in my pocket and pulled it out and went to the street light. It's $3,000. I like to run off a road. That's the biggest, second biggest amount of money I'd ever received in my life. Another time, a woman called me and wanted to buy me an airplane. I wouldn't even tell her how much it was because I didn't want anybody to know. And she said, well, $10,000 help? <laughs> That's when Bonnie said, give me the phone. I'll tell her how much it was. <laughs> it's just like, you know, when you just trust the Lord, just leave it with him and let him take care of that. You'll go through times when things aren't going well. There was a time Bonnie and I didn't have much of anything. I remember one time the preacher at, after the Christmas stuff, when you give away the, you know, the basket, got the turkey and the ham and the this and the that. And all. Well, there was a couple of hams left over in the refrigerator. They had green growing on uh, one of them. He's going to throw them out. And I said, uh, Brother John, are you going to throw those away? He said, yeah. I said, well, let me... Uh, let me take those home. He said, you can't eat these things. They got green on them. I said, oh, Bonnie, she's good at stuff. She... <laughs> and we did. We ate those hams. And I know there were people who, you know, my mother and dad. My dad wanted me to go sign the bank and get a card. He said, well, your mom and I will co-sign. Felt sorry for us. And I told him, in. I said, you don't have to. I've already got a car. Where is it? I don't know. And my poor dad's trying to figure out what's wrong with his son. But it came, and everybody just wanted to go out and look at it. Everybody I knew had seen 10,000 new Ford cars, and I got one, and everybody in town wanted to look at it. It's a Ford. It's, I mean, it's just like this green, but it's mine. It's paid for. The Lord gave it to me. It didn't cost me a nickel. And it's just like God said, you put first things first, and God will meet and take care of all your needs. You never have to complain about what you don't have. Believe God for it. Rejoice when others get theirs. Don't hold a grudge against anybody that's got more than you or seem to be getting more breaks than you do. You be content in the things that you have. Look at Hebrews 13, 5. Have you found it? Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Let your manner of life be without covetousness. Because you see, I think one of the problems with complaining is covetousness and greed. You wish you had more. You wish you had what somebody else had. That breaks the 10th commandment about not coveting your neighbor's property and so forth. Verse 5, let your conversation be without covetous and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me ask you all a question. Should you be content with what you've got? That's what your Bible says. It said you be content and don't be covetous. You're around a materialistic world. There's never been more toys in history than right now, especially these electronic toys that play with your brain. But there's never been a time with as many toys and stuff like that as right now. Listen to this translation. Keep your life free, Hebrews 13. If I keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's why that poor fellow can rejoice. That's why that fellow that doesn't have much in light of 
accomplishing much in this world. We call it success if you want to. They don't have much. But you know what God says to him? Be content with what you have. I think all God would ask of, the, of that fellow is to believe me for what I promised. It is your father's good pleasure to give you whatever he's asked for. You're the reason he gave it. To meet all your needs, didn't God say, my God shall supply some of your needs according to his riches and glory? Say, so it would supply all of your needs. Well, that's yours. And until they get met, what does he say to do? Be content, didn't he? If you're listening, here's another translation. Be free from the love of money. Content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will in no way leave you, neither will I in any way forsake you. Money. Oh, if I could just get more money, I would have this. We go to banks to get more money because we got to have more. 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 And then when we, things bunch up on us, it's hard to pay for this stuff. Then we start complaining. You shouldn't have to complain about it. That's your fault. God would have taken care of it. You would have had to do without, wouldn't you? Don't you all quit on me tonight. Oh, no, I'm not going to do without. I remember, I still do, and, I, and I'm not any, anybody's model or anybody's norm, but I can remember doing without a lot many times because I was only going to get it if God gave it. And some of you remember my old black Bronco I used to have with the blue seat and the tan floorboard, fenders all rusted out of it. We drove it to a wedding one time. Drove it to Milwaukee and back. That's all I had. I guess my daddy was still alive in. He said, son, go get you a better car. You know why? Because this doesn't look good. You don't look good in it. People measure you, your success by the toys you have. God doesn't. God doesn't. Man does. And when we don't have the latest toys, we get into and if you are believing God, sometimes you mess up. You start saying, well, how much longer is it going to be? Well, how much well, just rejoice. Rejoice. Put God in the place where God wants to be as the meter of all your needs, a supplier of all your needs, that he's heard your prayer, that your answer is on the way. In the meantime, live as though what you have prayed for has been done. What does Mark eleven twenty four say? What things soever you desire, when you pray, you believe you've got it and you'll get it. That's the way you do it. Now, if you believe that, what do you complain about? Well, I complain about gas went up 40 cents this, this week. Can God make it possible that you could have that little bit of extra to get that gas? I thought of that this morning, coming to town, Bonnie and I, gas, $3.74 a gallon, up from $3.33. I remember I started opening my mouth, I started opening my mouth, I said, you know, there are a bunch of crooks over at Marathon. <laughs> oh, I was that close. I was getting ready to put a noose around, I hear one of them's neck, and yank them and drive them down or drag them down the road. That bunch of crooks while they like, I started to do that. Bonnie said, well, it hurt on the news, it's because of the thing over in... Syria. What's going on in Syria, which is not an oil thing at all, what's that got to do with Shelbyville, Kentucky? 
But see, why, wait a minute. Why am I complaining about that? Will God supply my need? You tell me. Can God afford $3.74 a gallon? It'll go down for the next two and a half weeks and then it jumps up again. So to train you to, you know. But anyway, can he do that? Or what do you believe? You're complaining only tells others that you're not believing God and trusting in his salvation. You're complaining. You can't control it. Call Marathon. Well, don't. The highest legal authority in this state couldn't do anything with them. So let them charge. If God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns all, the, all in the hills because the hills are God's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If I just had more money, if you had more money, we wouldn't see you as much as we do. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. I'm sure you know this one. Because this is what people grumble about a lot. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred. Uh-oh, they have erred from what? Well, then there's a contrast between covetousness and God's word. And the way God's word works for you is when you exercise faith in it. One of the purposes of God's word is to give you what to believe in and believe for. When he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, that's the end of our complaint about needs. That's the beginning of thank you, Lord, for my gas. Thank you, Lord, for, the, for this or that. I give you thanks, Lord, you're going to take care of my needs. I do. My complaining doesn't please God. My whining and grumbling doesn't make God happy with me. It doesn't make me more secure in the kingdom of God to complain about this world. This world's passing away and all the lust of it is going to burn with it. Right now is a big adjustment that we're trying to make. God deliver me from complaining and murmuring and living on Grumble Alley. Lord, help me tear this wicked street down. I've lived on it my whole life. I've lived next to Grumble Alley my whole life. I have found too many times, I'm aware of this, that I have taken pleasure in being critical of the systems of man. Not that there's times you don't point out to Christian people about the evil of it, but I'm talking about, well, the gas thing or the national debt. I think it's criminal. I do. I really do. You know, you can talk about the government to give 15 airplanes to somebody that's going to use them on you eventually. I think how crazy is that? But what can I do in place of that? I can say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, open a couple of eyeballs in high places Get the peanut butter out of their ears. See, that's critical itself, but open up their understanding so that they can see what they're doing. I pray for the well-being of our country. My country's an object of my prayer. 
I pray for those in the highest places, our president, that God would give him direction and wisdom concerning Christians in this country, that, that things won't happen that are unnecessary to happen, that people won't give up the faith because of political pressures. There's a lot of fragile Christians in this world. But money, look at verse 11. What does he tell you to do in verse 11? Flee. Flee what? Well, verse 10, again, he said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some who covered it after, they have erred from the faith. And they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's a hopeless life with no solutions. But he said again in verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee what things? Covetousness, the love of money. Money doesn't make you happy. Money makes you covetous. It seems like the more you get, the more covetous you get. Ask businessmen. There's a lot of them here. Ask businessmen who have done work for wealthy people who won't even pay them or have trouble paying them. Money does that to people. You feel like you deserve and you're worth more because you got money. Money won't get you in heaven. You couldn't buy 10 seconds with God with all the money in this world. Money has no value to God on the other side. You could die and have yourself made a casket big as this stage and put you in the middle of it and pack it full of all the money you've ever had. Close it up, bury it in a big hole. And when the worms get you, they get the money. It just all goes in the same belly. But money... It's what men complain about to their wives. What did you spend? What did you pay for? How much? You, and men do that to, the, to you know, they, men complain. Now, not all of them do. I know you all. I know you men don't. But I've heard these stories about men that do. You know, their wife goes out shopping. They buy, you know, they buy a pair of shoes somewhere other than the shoe store, the discount shoe, shoe center. Or he goes out and buys him a, a boat, a car, or a gun, and sneaks it in the house. Oh, my brother and I, my brother and my poor brother and I, we used to want to go out hunting varmints. And we used to shoot crows and hawks in the old days. You can't do that now because there's a house in every field. There used to be grass, but we'd put the gun down in our leg and walk in and say, well, you know, we kind of hold the stock she turned her head and we kind of get out the door like this here and then take that rifle out and put it in the car and we go out and shoot because of all this. Well, you got them. Well, you bought another. How many you got now? Well, I can't believe you went out and bought another. How many pairs of shoes you got? You bought another. What, Tom, you've got 19 coats already or whatever. Make it up. Honey, you've, you've already got three pair of blue shoes in your closet. Just grumbling and growling or you wish you had what somebody else next door to you has or you complain about well I don't make enough money well if you honey we could do we could do more if you just had a better job you say I'm doing my best you know what marriage shouldn't be like that a man should not have to listen to his failings 
nor should a woman have to listen to the same thing from a man. There's no grace in being degraded. I remember a long time ago, church hadn't been going long, and I remember 30 years ago, and a person came by the church one day and said, something has bothered me, I think you ought to know. Yes, well, I was in a home the other day, and, and a woman there was telling everybody about how bad her husband was, somebody that was, you know, I knew them in the church. Said, oh, they were just, oh, well, he, you know, he doesn't make any money and this, blah, 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 and I can't, and we don't, and it's like, it's, I don't know why, it's some, I guess I'll have to get a job so we can have more things or something like that. And I remember at the time being troubled by that. She must have married him thinking that somewhere in this marriage, I'm going to be a princess. I'm going to get me a couple of big horses to ride down the road, big white ones. Before I ship them over to the doghouse. But anyway, there is something about money and lust for things and having more and measuring up to the expectations of your neighbor or wishing you had what somebody else had. It happens amongst us all the time. Oh, you could do better than that. You know what? Actually, I'm doing as good as I care to do. If you put a Mercedes in my yard with feathers growing on it, I just wouldn't have a truck full of gas, to tell you the truth. $3.74 a gallon. <laughs> Listen, folks, greed. Being greedy is never a compliment. Nobody's ever going to introduce you as saying, and now our speaker, my friend, most greedy person that I know is going to come and speak. To That's not a compliment, is it? It sure is not. What about that word content? Be content with such things as you have. Remember that? What is content? Turn to Philippians 4. Paul writing, he says this in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, but I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what? To be content. Now, the word content means to, to be sufficient, adequate. Some dictionaries said uh, be satisfied. In other words, your attitude, the attitude of your heart is that I am at peace with what I have. I know it's not going to stay like this. My old black Bronco with the four speed that's hard to get in fourth gear or first gear will work fine right now. You know why I'm not grumbling about it at the time? Because I believe for a better one. I've learned how to use my faith. God's done it before. I believe for a better car. It's just a matter of time before it gets here. So why should I grumble about it? I remember when President Reagan used to call me wanting to come up there to Washington to give him some advice all the time. I'd, I'd, no, I'd say I was dreaming, but you'd drive it right up in front of the White House. If that's all you got, and you wouldn't get out of it and start saying, well, I'll tell you one thing, I'm believing for better. That's just a piece of junk right there. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. you just get out of the car. you just humble yourself. Maybe it's a part of the training of you how to be humble before the Lord and do without and be content with nothing. How about that? Oh, I'm talking to the wrong crowd tonight. I thought this was Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Who is this? 
Or is it right? Is it true? I am glad to have nothing. If in this life I have nothing, I have salvation. And there's no greater gift for a human being in life than to be saved. Nothing. There's nothing you can add to that, and there's nothing you can take from that. That is a gift from God. Your name is written in heaven to an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And in the meantime, in this world, if you struggle, rejoice. If you don't have much, rejoice. All I'm asking is that you use your faith. Believe God for something better. I do. So why don't you believe for a new Jaguar? I don't want a Jaguar. Why don't you believe for a Cadillac? I don't want a Cadillac. Well, there's only two brands. You know what they are. One's a... Anyway. So you want to do that. You want to be content in such things as you are because that's the way it is. Listen to this one. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency. There's our word content. Same word. Having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work, which is why we're in the world. And all the things that God wants you to do or things that God wants you to support. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He is able. That should be sufficient. My God, if God hears your prayer, what does he say? If we know that God hears us, then we know what? Then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. First John 5. We know that. So we're at peace. It's coming. It's on its way. What? The, my, the answer, the manifestation to my prayer. Well, where is it? I don't know where it is. I just know that he that promised is faithful. If he has said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Go back to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And look at verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be what? You got food to eat. You got clothes to wear. You're not naked. You're not destitute. Praise the Lord. With a good attitude. With a good attitude. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. Godliness defines piety, devotion to God. It's a relationship that you have. When you have a relationship with God and he rules your life by your consent and you're willing to do and to be what he wants you to be and you honor him with, with your faith and so forth, there will be great gain in your contentment. God can add to you abundantly, as I've already said tonight. He just asked you to be content and quit being so I got to have, I got to have. Get, 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 get. My name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. Quit being like that. Quit get, digging yourself in a debt hole that you can't really get out of because of your lust for stuff. God will take care of you, won't he? I said, well, did you ever get that house, Brother Hamilton? 
I've had several. My mother and dad gave me one after they died. I built one up in Indiana that was paid for. It took three years, but I built it as a went. And it was mine. I got one to live in now. I had one before I got in that one. I'm only saying that to you because it wasn't because I had a lot of money that all this happened. I had no money. I had nothing but ham with green on it. Mold. Y'all didn't get any of that. But anyway, I had moldy ham. That's where we started. I'm standing here today to tell you that faith does work, that God does honor his word. He does pour out blessings on those who will trust him. You just have to be content. Quit trying to make it work for you. Trust God and he'll make it work. Listen to what the psalmist says right in close. The psalmist said, A little that the righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth and fame. That's another song. The book of Proverbs says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith oh but brother hamilton i i've heard you talk about success i just want to be successful you know what the word success says it's a favorable end of a venture and there's nobody in this room who is successful if you're complaining you might be complaining you might be thinking about it but if you're successful you don't complain anymore because your success begins with your faith do you hear me it begins right here in your heart I know in whom I past tense have believed and I am persuaded. Therefore, I acknowledge my supplier of all my needs. I thank you. I rejoice in Jesus. And as you go through life being criticized by people who heard you say that, people who think you're some religious fool, one day you look in your pocket. And God starts little by little in every way supplying your needs until one day your need is met and you thought, well, I was so fixed on preaching the word, all of a sudden my need's met. You just got to learn to be content. Amen? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, your word is true. The power that is in your word is true. I ask you to bless the meaning and understanding of your word to the hearts of these people so that they can become word of God inside minded, relying on you and trusting in you, looking to you to meet their needs, making you their source and delivering us from complaining about times and days and seasons. Thank you for the richness of your spirit, of your word, and of your workings. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God is good.